You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined by Sean and Richard in spirit only. For he is working on SEO reports and needed to keep doing that so we could get those out on time. So on this podcast, we are actually going to talk about the results of surveying your backers and, and your email list and your audience, your community. Among other things, we're going to talk about why survey, why, what use does a survey have, and all of the things that go along with that as, as like a, a primer to this. I surveyed my deliverance backers and we have about 400 responses, almost 400 responses at the time of this podcast. And it just keeps going up. And I learned some really, really interesting stuff that I've always wanted to know. And we are here to share those things with you, as well as the kind of conclusions that we've drawn from that survey and what use you might get out of surveying your own communities, backers, email list, and, and whatnot, and why you should keep this as a tool in your back pocket. So how you doing, Sean? Hey, but now we better bring out Richard out for the nerd news. Cue Robot Richard. <laughs> and now it's time for Nerd News. So one thing that came across my desk or screen, I should probably say, this week is an update from Substack. If you don't know what Substack is, it's sort of a, I want to say like a blogging site. It really just allows people to write things and build communities. And it's great because it has uh, like a paywall feature. So if you want to get paid for, uh, you know, covering certain content, then you can sort of easily integrate that. And it also connects with like a an email provider thing. So you can send out e emails. It is quite limited in its features. You can set um, welcome emails, automated welcome emails, but you can't segment your audience and, you know, send to, you know, the most, the people you open the most or that type of thing. So it's limited as an email feature, but it's a nice little platform. They've just introduced an update which introduces Substack chat. And what they're trying to do is they recognize a, a lot of people who use Substack are building communities on Discord and Slack or a Facebook group. And so they're really just trying to keep everything in one place. So it means that people who use Substack can build their communities in a sort of a, an entire Substack ecosystem with paywalls, with emails. So this might be a really good place to start as a, a board game creator or a Kickstarter hopeful, it's building a community. If you don't have money to build a you know, massive landing page or you just create a little sub stack, start capturing emails and you can start integrating them into a community and it's, you know, it's free, easy setup. So I think this is a positive update for that platform. Hopefully they can, you know, eventually move to a position where they have better email options and you can, you know, segment your emails. Then it could be an all one, all in one solution for people who want to, you know, grow communities and then put things behind paywalls. Twitter and Substack are the two places that journalists that tend to get the word out on what it is that they're studying, what, what, or what stories they're covering. And the reason that I was made aware of Substack was because it, it's something that they don't really, they don't heavily moderate the type of content that's on there. So journalists tend to really like to use it. They, they cover controversial stories and they don't suffer any, you know, repercussions from big tech. And so journalists on both sides of the aisle that are independent journalists working for a news organization are, build followings for themselves on Substack. And no matter where that journalist goes, you can follow them and the types of stories they cover, regardless of what news organization they work for. So it's actually a really cool thing for that. Well, it had been for that community to, you know, to build followers and, and that sort of thing. And so I, it's kind of become more of a big deal. I know Jack Dorsey, the, the CEO of, or the former, the founder of Twitter, um, who is since, you know, he's, he's long gone from Twitter now, but um, he had been, working on a platform called ghost i think and it which is a direct competitor to substack and people are asking him why would like you're promising that there's free speech and that kind of thing here but um why would i switch to your platform when that already exists and it's called substack and so i thought that was a really interesting thing you know it's um i'm sure that that 
if ghost is something that's going to exist, I'm sure it'll be useful um, in its own way. I didn't really hear what response he had to to that or what really what difference there would be if any, if any to Substack. But I do think Substack is like the dominant competitor in its in its little niche. Yeah, I think a lot of these tech companies need to do more research and development. There seems to be a lot of, you know, platforms coming out, which just seem to do what other platforms do, but worse. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm -hmm. you should have done some research and development here. Like, there, this already exists and it's better elsewhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually, you know, I was thinking this week about Facebook Meta. They've spent, like, more money than the continent of Africa has on this platform. And it's currently... Just it seems like a it's like thirty dud. people. In it. <laughs> yeah, but it, it reminds me of the start that Pokemon Go received. So Ingress was is the name of a game that kind of uses the Google Maps API. It's a company. So Google gives their developers like ten or twenty percent or something of their time to work on anything that they want. And the thing about that is you tend to get, you know, and Google backs whatever it is that they create and they support further um, things that are really interesting. And one of them was called Ingress. It's a game that you could play on your mobile phone that tracked your location. And as you, uh, as it tracked where you would go, it would decide in a, in a city on Google Maps where the various points of interest were. And it would say, okay, this is the base and you get points for being next to city hall or something like that um, on Google maps. And you could, um, you could actually set up like defenses in inside the game, um, which would defend city hall. And there was like a red side and a blue side and they would each fight against each other. And uh, you know, for control over in essence, every interesting or every point of interest in across the world that had foot traffic. And so Google used this data to figure out where people go, what they do, you know, how, where they congregate. It's really creepy. And, um, that just was kind of like a little, I'll say like a, maybe the wrong phrase, but a cult classic video game, you know, cult classic app game for like a mobile app and people that have like parties where it was like, all right, we're going to do like a flash mob down in like Seoul, South Korea. So, you know, on this day at this time, we're all going to meet together and have a giant ingress battle and, see, you know, which side red or blue will take over, um, South Korea, you know, and because you actually had to physically be there in, in order to, um, participate in that area. So you couldn't just like, you know, from your comfy couch in United, in the United States, you couldn't set, you know, participate in the South Korea battle. Right. And so a uh, long winded way of saying that this actually wasn't super popular, but Google invested a decent amount into it because of what the potential was and it eventually became the engine behind pokemon go which as we know was just exploding in popularity and even still is quite popular uh people walking around like walking off of like you know bridges to capture try to capture a pokemon that's you know just crazy stories that you hear of people playing that play that game where they're not aware of like their surroundings but it became a very, very popular thing when they reskinned it. And I think the same thing is going to happen with the metaverse. I swear it's just like the matrix where, you know, if you, if you watch the matrix, like matrix three or something, you know, you watch one, two, and three matrix three, it talks about like how the original matrix was invented so that people's minor spoilers that are like 20 years old at you know, if you haven't got with the program, then like, sorry, the, the, so matrix three, like the quote unquote creator of the matrix was the, the machines and they created the matrix to be perfect and not to have any, any issues, any sickness, any disease, whatever. And humans rejected that. And so they created the second version, which was a much more violent place. And the human batteries basically accepted the program when it became a, a kind of a miserable world. And in the same way, Ingress, when it became Pokemon Go, masses accepted it, embraced it, and pushed it organically. And the scary thing is, I think that that is going to happen with the metaverse. I think right now the metaverse is filled with like super lame avatars and, you know, in essence, places that you can create on your own and, you know, in VR. 
And I think that um, this will eventually get reskinned and it will become a power fantasy of some sort. It'll become like World of Warcraft, but you'll be able to build your own city. You'll be able to build your own, like form your own communities and actually do things that are meaningful. And they'll have, I mean, could you imagine if Facebook took over Blizzard and just decided, hey, we're going to pour all of our money into World of Warcraft, how much crazier it would be? You know, it just would have content coming out left, right, and center. It would be the place to be. Well, I think that that's what they're doing. I really think that's what they're doing. Do you and know so, um, uh, Riot Games is producing their own MMO? Yeah. Yeah, I do, actually. I heard about that. In fact, this week, I heard about that. Ingress is still going, and Pokemon Go, I think it was a fad. You know, it's not, not nowhere near as popular as it was, you know, on 2017, 2018, when it was sort of at its peak. And I also think a lot of people realized that a lot of those apps were really just a way to kind of so how come how come the how come, the, po how come the Pokemon centers are, are always in these like Starbuckses? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think they they kind of figured out pretty quickly that it was used as a marketing tool to get people into like physical locations to like you know yep. sell stuff. Um, I actually have a story about that. Um, so one of my clients back in around this time was a farm stand. So they're they're a farm that has they they just produce like forty eight different types of fruits and vegetables or whatever that they they grow on their land and they have um, a farm stand that they sell this produce. And we looked into becoming a poke stop because they were popular enough that they could be a poke stop. And so what would happen is you would add, they would, you would have like an increased chance for rare Pokemon at that location. And it was relatively inexpensive and it was really, a, a, it was genius absolute genius that uh, like a 50 year old or 60 year old farmer knew enough about Pokemon go to say, Hey, maybe we could add a poke stop. My grandson's always telling me about that. And you know, it yeah. was, it was just unbelievable. But I like to think people are maybe a little bit more conscious about privacy. And I think there's sort of, there's a lot of distrust with having a phone track your location everywhere. And like, I think people see through the kind of the hype of that technology now. They, they kind of see the more, I suppose, more nefarious side of it, it kind of like using your data to like, you know, they're selling your data. So that's why it's a free app. My prediction of the future, it's not metaverse. I actually think it's, we're going to go back to simpler technology. And everything's trying to get more complex. But I actually think almost like the, the tried and tested seems to work. I think we're going to start seeing a rise in RSS feeds again, which is just a way to directly communicate with someone. Yeah. So that's what that's what I, I suspect we're going to see people kind of distancing themselves from big tech and maybe using RSS once again, um, mm -hmm. just connecting it straight into your email clients. And you can just you know see the posts from the latest websites, check mm -hmm. your emails, done, no I, algorithm. Metaverse is a strange one. I almost feel like we'll be forced to use it. Or money will be taken out of your PayPal account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh, man. Like, to use I, uh... Facebook now, you have to put this headset on. And we're going to read your brainwaves. Yep. Whether yep. you like just, it or not. Yep. Just put this device next to your ear. And there will only be a little bit of pain, and then it will be over. So, <laughs> yeah. Man. And that's, well, that's another thing. You know, you have Elon Musk with his um, Neuralink. I think that's, that's a frightening idea. You know, mm. if someone hacks your phone... You can always, if worse comes to worse, you just take a hammer and you smash your phone. That's it. You know, like nothing's happening after that. What if someone hacks you and you have Neuralink? What are you going to do? Smash your head? <laughs> this is like, it seems like a dumb idea. Yeah. You put that technology directly into your body, which obviously has an entry point, which means it can be compromised. And then and I, I couldn't think of anything worse. Someone hacking your brain. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, get, get these thoughts out of my head. This is uh, pretty creepy stuff. And I definitely agree you know, with what you said earlier about the uh, privacy, people's concern about privacy, I think that people are being led to notice certain things like Apple has actually moved to let people decide for each app, you know, if you want to be tracked all the time or only while using the app or if you want the app not to track you. And it's like, I didn't know apps tracked me. I'm going to hit do not track. And then you realize with the important ones, oh, I need Google Maps to track my location if I want to know where like how to drive to this how to navigate to that place so but um 
I think that there are so many things where it's like, hey, look at this, look at this, the flashing sign. And then there are a million other ways that they are, you know, being nefarious. So I think that, um, you know, it's just as much smoke and mirrors as ever, you know? Yeah. And I think that was more of a move by Apple to kill their competition rather than be careful mm-hmm. about your privacy. Because I guarantee you they're logging all of your key presses and that's yep. being stored somewhere on your yep. iOS, which you can't alter or tap into. So, <laughs> yep, it's pretty scary. Yeah. TikTok actually is, it uh, also records all of your key presses. So yeah. it's pretty scary. All probably, of your probably, passwords. Probably, probably looks at your face whilst you have the app active. It looks at you, look at your facial expression. Hmm, how can we, yeah. what kind of state of mind are you in? Yep. <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, that's just, it feels like we're going that's down the rabbit, the rabbit hole. hole and yeah, now I, I'm just going to go suck my thumb in this corner. So Substack community building, you might want to check that out if you're on a budget. Um, if you're not on a budget, you still might want to check it out. You might find something that's useful if you want to like inter- integrate a paywall into your community. That might be a good place to go. Awesome. Well, that was that was really stimulating and interesting to me, at least. Let's get into our topic at hand, which relates to surveying your your community. So first of all, like, what are we talking about? Why survey? What are we talking about with a survey? So surveys are a really great way to find information about your fans that you can't really achieve any other way. I don't don't know if there's another way of doing it other than a survey. It's like, hey, can you fill this out? Yeah. So you generally want to grab information, right? Yes. And the idea is that's going to help you move forward. It's going to help you I think one of the biggest advantages of a survey, it can help you overcome a buyer objection. So you can find out, hey, have you you know backed the Kickstarter yet? And if it's yes or no, then you can filter all the no answers. And then you can ask them to say, hey, why haven't you backed? And then then you can filter that. And you, you can keep on digging until you can you have a list of people or a group of people that you know you know exactly why they haven't backed. And now you could potentially send them a message directly and say, oh, by the way, here, this is how we answer this objection. Thank you for you know supporting the project so far. And you can go from there. So I think it, it opens up a wide range of possibilities. It's just, an, it's just an example. We had a we had a client of ours whose Kickstarter is live right now. I'm not going to mention it because I didn't get permission to talk about this on the podcast, but it's just using it as an example. And their Kickstarter wasn't doing as well as they had anticipated. So they sent out a survey to their list and they got responses back. And one of the responses was that the game was too expensive, that they felt like it needed to be cheaper. The value wasn't really there. It was just a bit pricey for people. So they've decided to create a new pledge. So their their current pledge was like their standard pledge. They're adding more things to it, like downloads and a print and play version to try and incentivize people to stay at that pledge level, not reduce their pledge. But then they're releasing a sort of bare bones pledge which is going to be at a reduced price that will help people get in. And the, I haven't got the results yet, but uh, the hope is that that's going to you know push some uh, some more backers and kind of overcome their objection. Now, that's the advantage of doing a survey when your campaign is live. It's also the advantage of capturing emails. Yes. Um, you know, in relation to the survey, you can, you don't, it's not just while your campaign's live, but it, you can do a survey in your pre-marketing phase before you go live to learn what backers are looking for, what they, what they are most interested in. Um, you, you know, what is going to get them off the fence? You know, maybe I'd like to know about the campaign or I'd like to know about, you know, this or that. Um, of course, when the survey is live, what would you like to see? What can we do better? Um, and that sort of thing. And then post Kickstarter, which is actually one that I personally conducted with my deliverance fans, and we'll talk about on this podcast, um, what would you like to see in the future from us? And how can we do better next time is kind of the idea. Now, and when we're talking about surveys, we're talking about Google Forms. It's free. It's pretty easy. It's actually pretty fantastic where I didn't realize that you could ask a question like we asked the very first question on the deliverance survey was, have you backed deliverance at the base game or higher? And we have some people, you know, it's like 86% of the people said yes. And then 14% said no. And then for the people that said no, 
we had we had like almost 400 people fill out the survey. It's like yeah, they're called sections, so you can create a section, so you can then add a like a clause where if they answer no on this on this section, it then directs them to another section of the course. So you can you can branch out the the responses in in your course. So if you answered yes, you get a different set of questions. If you answer no, you get a different set of questions. So that's how that's how we did it. Yeah, and I think that is so cool. I didn't realize that you could segment based on people that have backed or not backed and and receive their their responses. In fact, I find that you know, I want I wanted to really know what like what caused people not to back my game and you know, how can I kind of overcome objections and um you know, there there are a lot of this data really surprised me. Really really surprised me and you know, one, one of the most useful bits of information. So you ha we have questions, which will go over the questions that we asked in my survey and why. Um, but then there are open-ended questions that, um, Sean, you actually put this together originally. And then I went and I made some tweaks and, and launched it. And some of the most useful information is the open-ended question. Anything else you'd like to tell us about why you haven't backed or, you know, any comments you'd like to leave? And out of the 391 responses as of the time of this um, recording, we received 25 responses from people who did not back of like actual text, any other thing you would like to share responses and 160 from the people that did. So, um, you know, it was, it was very, very interesting. And uh, so that's almost, that's about 40% of the people that, that responded um, left a comment which is cool. So, um, I found, I found that to be very, very, uh, interesting. So, um, you want to get into like, first of all, um, so let's say we send a survey. I, you have to send a survey to people. And in order to send a survey to people, you need to have a community, an email list. You need to have places that people, uh, that you gather people, and I think that this is really one of the biggest, one of the biggest pitfalls of people that are like, I'm just going to have my Kickstarter notify me on launch page be the source of all my traffic. You will not have the ability to do something like this. In, in fact, you know, it's, it's limited. You'll be able to, to send your survey out via like a Kickstarter update, um, which is, which is good, but you know, the email list and everything, I mean, I sent my Kickstarter. So I, I wrote a really long update a week, you know, about a week uh, before we, in fact, I, I did it on the 31st of October and I included a link to my survey there and I got like 110 responses or, or so. I, I manage a Facebook group and a discord server and of course our email list. And we managed to get to about, I want to say 220 responses over the course of a few days in our using our communities to um to to request you know information including our kickstarter you know kickstarter updates you know i i do consider that a community because a lot of people read that and then respond with in comments and that sort of thing and it's a, a place that you can permanently talk to those people that they like to go right so but then i sent an update out to my email list just asking them for my um and actually i i sent my monthly newsletter on the 1st of November. And then on the 3rd of November, I sent another email just asking for help if they would be willing to fill out that survey. And we got a ton of responses just in within six hours. Uh, you know, I have an email list of 4,800 people and within six hours, I received an additional, nearly, nearly an additional 180 responses just to, to the survey is huge. And so if you don't have an email list, that's just not something you're going to be able to do. Um, I think another we, thing is, is motivating people to do that, the survey. So I know one thing that you mentioned was like, Hey, this is going to really help me make deliverance better for you. So help me help you by fulfilling this one minute survey. Like keep it short. Like it's not going to take a long, long time. But another thing that we did is we did a giveaway. So by doing the survey, the, the, people who answer the questions will then be put into a draw where they can get a either an upgrade to their pledge for deliverance or a signed piece of art, right? So something very mm -hmm. valuable. 
Um, so that's another way to motivate your audience to take action is to give them something in return for taking the time to do do the survey. Right. And I, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, I think you could agree, Angie, it's a well well worth the the spend, you know, to give away a, oh, yeah. a free copy of your game for this information. Yeah, it's you know, and another thing is that giveaways. I love using giveaways to just say thank you to the people that are that believe in me that 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 backed me with their wallets that were you know the people the reason that my game exists you know a lot of people use giveaways to get new emails and hopefully get new backers and that kind of thing but i generally don't i feel like people that will give you their email in response to winning a copy of wingspan for example those aren't going to be people that necessarily back your kickstarter I want to win a copy of Wingspan. I mean, I actually have Wingspan and I kind of enjoy the game. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to win another copy of Wingspan. I would give it to a friend or family member. And and of course, I would I would give my email address for a chance to win that thing. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to back whatever Kickstarter you have. I just like Wingspan. Maybe your Kickstarter is even a relevant game that is a Euro about bird watching or something. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to back your game necessarily the usually the turnouts are quite low but when you when you offer a giveaway to the people that already backed you what you do is you endear yourself to them and you make them want or make them glad they support you and make them you know it's like you're you're thanking them for their for their service uh you know and for being a loyal fan and they'll continue to do that and be more excited probably that's what i find i mean I, I give all sorts of stuff away to my to my deliverance fans and I just am I very much appreciate them um you know being you know following and even one fan can make such a massive difference. I I, I actually shared a story uh at LTN Con when I went there mid-October about and I, I it was funny because I listened to the recording yesterday. My wife wanted to listen to the recording and so I I listened with her and I shared a story that uh, was about one fan asked me to come up to a convention in Seattle area. And I did. And that one fan was later responsible for giving me the idea for the angel investor pledge. And we sold a $750 pledge. We sold 47 of those. So that, that one fan just by saying, yeah, I would, I would love to, to meet up with you and go to a convention that I've never heard of. And all of that, it just ended up working out so well. And I felt like um, I used myself as the prize in a giveaway. <laughs> I don't know, but um, but yeah, I just I mean, I've I've I have a lot of experiences of giving things to people where they not only appreciate that, but they reward you with um, future loyalty or marketing of just word of mouth or all sorts of stuff. Um, and who knows? Because my board game company is relatively young. Who knows what it'll be like in the future? I'd love to have our next Kickstarter be a million dollar Kickstarter, but it's We're certainly not Blizzard. Happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I think in, in, <laughs> you know, I think in businesses, there's two types of philosophies. There's a customer cured as a customer lost, and then I think there's another side of that, which is a customer cured as a customer won forever. And I think that's the second one is sort of what we you need to be right, very generous. And the hope is that you're you're going to be generous. You're going to help people, not so that they stop being your client or customer. It's that they're so thrilled with your service, so thrilled with your product that they tell everyone about it. You know, yeah. And that's that's really the key, rather than uh, the other one, which is just trying to make as much money from people as possible, not really caring about their well being. Right. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, people in the tabletop industry or, you know, they know other people that are like-minded. And so they're much more valuable to you if they are just excited about what it is that you have to, or that, that you're selling, they're going to tell people in an excited manner. And those people are going to want to be excited like that too. And they're going to want to receive that same experience because the other person is talking so positively about it. And that's how games get sold. You know, people play games around the table. They, you know, they do things together and they're like, I want this. I want my other friend in my other group to, to experience this. So they end up buying it or whatever. I mean, that's been dominantly how tabletop games have spread is across the kitchen table or whatever. Um, so, so what? I, 
I want to yeah. quickly talk about, we probably should jump into the questions that we asked, but before we do that, one of the, the reasons that you should use a Google form is, well, it's free and it gives you this ability to segment, but it also has great integration with Google Sheets. So you're able to export all the, so first of all, it collects all the responses and automatically generates pie charts, which makes it very helpful just at a straight glance to see what's happening. But you can also export all of those responses to Google Sheets with a single button. And then once, in, once they're in Google Sheets, if you go data, create a filter, you can then filter by responses. So you can say create a filter for this column, all of the hide, all of the people who backed. So I only want to see people who haven't backed. And then you got all those responses and then you can dig further into, okay, let's, what's the co most common objection? Let's see what, what that is. And then you can keep on filtering and go down until you have all the, all the people who have a certain objection, have all their emails. And all you have to do then is copy those emails, bring them to MailChimp or MailerLite, create, tag them, and then you can send an email to those people answering a very specific objection. So mm -hmm. I would recommend using Google Sheets, the Google Sheets integration and availing of, of that as well. Let's go through it. So maybe you want to go to the first question and then we can go sure. play it out. Sure. So um, I thought this was genius where you created this first question is, have you backed deliverance at the base game or higher? That's the only thing that they see. And the only answers are yes or no, and you cannot create additional responses. So it's either yes or no. And depending on which one of those you select, you're, you know, when you hit next, it's going to bring you to one section or another. So if you haven't backed deliverance, we want to know why not, right? Um, so a part of what we'll, we'll probably talk about later, but we want to gain useful information. Every single question needs to be purposeful and you need to be able to turn all of the data that you're going to gather into useful information that's actionable. So um, the mo what's the most important reason you have not backed deliverance? And right now um, it looks like we've got a few more responses since I um, uh, last shared. We have 56 responses here from people who haven't backed deliverance. And the most or the most popular reasons, um, making up over thirty percent of this this pie chart, they're waiting to see, or they're waiting for the retail release. Number one, and number two, they're waiting to see if the game is good, um, which was quite a big, you know, th that's like a huge chunk. And then um, there's another that all in all makes uh, about twenty seven percent. So we have that is like thirty percent of the vote right there. And then in addition, we've got about 27%, so close to the vote that broke into three different groups. One says, I still plan to back. I just haven't done so yet. Then there's another one that says the base game price is too high. And then there's another one that says, I only back if I can afford an all-in pledge and the deliverance all-in pledge price is too high. Um, there, you know, the next group was like shipping is too high or unpredictable and that was actually added by a, a user that wasn't added by me. Um, but there were, I want to say, probably 25 different responses. A lot of people had, um, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of people gave their own responses. One that I actually put in was that I was surprised at how few people selected this. It was only one person selected the publisher's ability to deliver the game is unproven, and I've been burned by others for, for failure to deliver before. Only one person selected that. I was actually quite surprised. Yeah, I figured that there were going to be a lot of people that said I don't like to back Kickstarters because, you know, they don't get delivered. So anyway, it's it was it was really curious. A lot of really useful responses. A lot of people that were, you know, that were um, kind enough to offer some additional information. So. We included a question that said, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about why you haven't backed? And out of the 56 people that responded in the, um, you know, the no that they haven't backed, 26 of them wrote some, wrote a response. And again, this number is dynamically updating as we're talking because the survey is still out there and, you know, and we'll, we'll share a link to the survey in the show notes and whatnot so that you can see it to get an idea of the questions that you might want to ask. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was very interesting. And I think that, uh, one person actually said they didn't back because their shop backed at the retail level, um, which is, which is pretty cool. So the, you know, their shop is doing marketing for us and, and, you know, things that we don't, that we don't know about. Right. So, um, I think that that's pretty fantastic. So that's the, 
the, those are the only questions that we ask for people that said they did not back the deliverance campaign. In general, we want to figure out like, you know, there were also um, responses that were like, um, you know, there were, uh, I, I'm a solo player and I usually only play campaign games. If this had more of that, then I would have jumped in. And the person clearly doesn't know that we have a solo mode that and a, and a full campaign. It's like, I wonder maybe I could communicate that better next time or, you know, something like that. Um, a lot of so. objections I'm seeing is just people don't have the money. So it's just mm -hmm. something to keep in mind if maybe if you're going to Kickstarter to have um, a, a scale of pledge, pledges, right? So can you can you get a pledge that goes all the way down to like twenty bucks? <laughs> you know, can you mm -hmm. have a like a very like super simple entry pledge? And that's something to think about because you know some people they might really be interested in the product. And look, once they once they get something, they're more likely going to buy buy from you again. So yeah, there, there's definitely a a um, like a I think that there's this uh, cost benefit of, you know, if you, it, I do think that it would have been better if I could have had a price tag that was like $49. I think $49 is a really important benchmark that if people pay more than that, it tends to be, they think about it more. There's no difference between a $60 game and a $120 game in, in the, in the most players minds in the, uh, you know, given that if they buy the $60 game, they're not going to have enough money for that $120 game. You know what I mean? They might have enough for like another $60 game, but usually games that cost 60 or more are kind of in the same boat as like the big 80, 90, $100 games. That, that's like the same level of thought required to buy one of those. So Deliverance is $89 with, you know, $12 shipping, or whatever. It's a $100 ask, which is, which is quite a lot because of the, in fact, Gloomhaven is a great example of this where they had a very expensive ask and a lot of people didn't back it because... It was expensive. They came out with Jaws of the Lion that was 50 bucks or 60 bucks. And that just sold like hotcakes because people really loved Gloomhaven. And there were a lot of people out there that just weren't willing to spend 150 or more on the base game. So I definitely think that we have, you know, just to arm us for information and, and you know, as to what to do in the future, maybe we need to do a Jaws of the Lion style game that is less expensive. And yeah, something to think about. Yeah. Now we know with the survey information <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um and we could have probably guessed however to see how popular that was was a uh, very eye-opening if you answer no you you then get brought to a new section where you answer two additional questions and once you finish answering that you then get thrown back into the section that everyone else who answered yes gets thrown into so now we have so when we ask these next correct next questions it includes everyone's responses and the next question was how did you first hear about the deliverance kickstarter campaign and that was something i honestly wish i could have asked that you know day one after our kickstarter was finished i wish i sent a survey out right then asking how they heard about the deliverance kickstarter because i feel like there's this you know it's it's been so long that maybe the the result is not accurate it's not it's certainly not as as fresh as it could be and so may, people are remembering what was most impactful, but who knows how the answers might have shifted at the time. Uh, but this actually really surprised me. Uh, 394 responses. Um, again, we're <laughs> getting more responses. Cool. So 394 responses to this question. How did you first hear about the Deliverance Kickstarter? And the number one result is browsing Kickstarter. Which is really surprising. I wasn't expecting that many from just people on Kickstarter. Oh, this looks interesting. Then they, they back it. Yeah, so uh, 23.9% of these respondents, so 94 out of 394 people said that they found it by browsing Kickstarter. And now I want to talk about some confirmation. And then uh, the next, by the way, it was Facebook ads at 20%. Um, a, a YouTube channel was the third most popular. Um, and uh, friends and family and was uh, the next. Actually, no, 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 it was a Facebook group was after that. And then friends and family was after that. It kind of goes on uh, down from there. But one important thing that I thought to mention here is confirmation bias. So the first thing I did was I sent an email out or I, I didn't, not an email. I'm sorry. I sent a Kickstarter update out and I asked how to, you know, I'm in essence asking those people how they first heard about the deliverance Kickstarter campaign. So because I'm sending it in a Kickstarter update, 
I would actually expect to get a lot of people saying they found it on Kickstarter because these people are people that use Kickstarter. And when we, I remember when we originally um, sent this out, we had browsing Kickstarter at just over 30% of all the people. So it was kind of like, you know, we did in our first podcast ever, which was the trying to analyze how many backers Kickstarter would bring you versus um, like your own marketing efforts. And we kind of settled on like, anywhere from like 20 to 40% of your backers are going to come from Kickstarter and then anywhere from, you know, whatever, um, 60 to 80% of your backers are going to come from the marketing effort that you, um, that you do. So we, we kind of settled on six backers. If you bring six backers, Kickstarter will bring four more at the time. And we, we had a lot of, um, you know, over 30% said they found us by browsing on Kickstarter. But then I, I shared the link to the survey in our Facebook group, and then I shared it on our Discord server, and I used the everyone tag on Facebook, and then I used the everyone tag on the Discord server so that as many people as possible would would be notified about this. And then lastly, and this was like probably the biggest one, I, I sent it out in an email blast, and I noticed by the by the end of the day, the number shrank from like 32% down to 24 that had found our game by browsing Kickstarter, um, which seems, I mean, that is almost a quarter of all the people. Let's say if we can extrapolate, we have, you know, almost 400 responses. If we can say, okay, I had 3000, uh, 2,717 backers, and then another 400 games sold or 400 backers in the, in the pledge manager, an email list of about 4,800 now. And, you know, if, like a third or a quarter of my backers were from Kickstarter, that is $75,000, you know, assuming that that's like just for doing it on Kickstarter over another platform. Now, I don't know if GameFound, it certainly doesn't have the organic traffic that Kickstarter has at the moment, but it doesn't have the number of projects on it that Kickstarter has. So maybe GameFound would have uh, accounted if I use it on, if I use GameFound instead, maybe they would have accounted for a, a, a similar chunk but my gut says that's really high. That's really high. Yeah, I think and, the, the key to Kickstarter as well is that if you follow people, you get notified when they back things. So if you've got people who've been, you know, super backers, been using Kickstarter for a long time, and they got lots of friends who use Kickstarter, and you know, someone backs something, well, they get notified. So that's that's another way of how you could reach people how you wouldn't reach otherwise through Kickstarter just by them simply backing on the platform, which I'm sure GameFound does as well. But obviously, Kickstarter has a far larger user base. Yeah. Yeah. There were, there were people. So we had um, like our, our top groups, we had um, browsing Kickstarter, Facebook ad, YouTube channel, uh, a Facebook group, and then friend and family member. But then we also had smaller things and things that were like one person would write in and it's only, it's 0.3% is like one person's vote accounts for 0.3% of this pie chart. So some people wrote board gaming group on Facebook and, you know, that obviously it counts in the quote unquote Facebook group. They just didn't see that result and they, they added, but crowdfunding those podcasts is one. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Thank you. One person. I appreciate that. One, one person said I, it was backed by Josh at Animo. So I checked it out. People said the BGDL podcast, uh, the board game design lab podcast. And, you know, kick track, Instagram ads. I Googled religious themed board games on Kickstarter on Google in July. So it must have been the first eight days of July because that was, uh, that was, those were the last eight days that we were live on Kickstarter. Yeah. So I, I found that to be so interesting. And this, what this is going to do is going to help inform where I advertise in the future. I think Kickstarter is a very important platform currently. I mean, the way that, the way that what's its data saying is Kickstarter is very important. Facebook ads definitely were worth it. Uh, YouTube channels were, I should probably invest more into YouTube channels. Facebook groups, I feel like are organic. I don't know. I don't know about like putting banner, like paying for banners on Facebook groups and things like that. I kind of feel like that's where people organically talk, but not necessarily where they find out about, you know, where like a banner is going to make a huge difference in the, the amount of chatter. I think Organic posting is where, what matters there. And then a friend or family member, um, that's, just, that's just buzz that you have no control over, right? So um, it was very interesting.
So the next question that we asked was, what would you like to see most in the de deliverance expansion? Select all that applies. So there's multiple choice, and I think people could even submit their own. And the one which is the highest is more campaign missions, which is funny because people haven't even played the camp the full campaign yet, right? You've had playtesters <laughs> and people play on tabletop simulator, <laughs> but it's not even out. But people are like, oh, I want more, <laughs> I want more campaign. And like as a like the campaign is pretty big. It's like 14 missions, right? With an additional mode that gives you 14 more. Yeah, so it's it's massive already. So it's 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 well, hopefully that the game will satisfy that need for you no know, more campaigns, so to speak. Maybe people have only played the skirmish game. They're like, oh, I want more like campaigns. Yeah, and I I was actually surprised that that took our number one spot. It was like almost sixty four percent of the people that voted in this wanted more campaign missions. So two hundred forty five people voted for that. Um, I thought the number one by far would be more angels to play. That you know, in Deliverance, the angel characters are are where the replayability is. Um, you know, you play one character, you can play through the whole campaign with one character and then play with a different one. It's a totally different experience. It feels very fun and different and whatnot. And I thought that would be number one by far, but I, but this showed me how important campaign games are. Campaigns are really hot right now. And I think that that trend is just going to increase. Uh, originally we were planning on not even having a campaign, but just doing like a, a skirmish, skirmish game. you know, tactical combat game. And uh, yeah, and then uh, so number one was more campaign missions. Number two was more angels to play. Number three, more demons to battle. Number four was uh, more treasure darkness and prayer cards. So more of the same cards and those top four. And then the next one was new talent cards for the base game angels. So all of these things are things that already exist. They just want more of the of those things. After that, actually a fair way after all of those, you've got Things like a fifth player option, a player versus player battle mode, a gauntlet mode, which is how long can you survive? We've got demon miniatures are are pretty popular here. And then a bunch of different, uh, one person's asking for solo rules and I think they'll be pretty happy. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, and you know, I, I think that what, what that really did, that that question, what, what people would like to see most in the Deliverance expansion, it, it helps me understand what they find interesting about the game so that not only can we make an expansion that they find very interesting, but we can also make an expansion and, and even position the next Kickstarter campaign in a way that shows people what they really want. Like I'm going to feature the campaign so hard in the next, in the next game. We revealed the campaign on like day 10 or something or day 12, 14 of the Kickstarter I'm going to, I'm going to have a campaign and information about it on day one next time and more angels to play. We're definitely going to be, you know, probably figure out all of our angels and maybe reveal them over the course of the campaign. So that way people aren't feeling like, Oh, if we don't hit that stretch goal, we won't get that angel. That was actually a big Debbie downer in, in our Kickstarter campaign is like people felt like they might not unlock the last angel. Of course we blew past that stretch goal, but you know, in the mid campaign, when things slow down, it kind of feels bad where you're, you're not really, you know, moving very fast. You're only knocking down a stretch goal every four or five days now. And then it's like, are we even going to reach that angel, you know, down there at the bottom of the chart? I don't know. So someone left a, like an essay of a reply, which is interesting that people are that passionate to actually take the time to write out what's it looks like about three paragraphs worth of, <laughs> of text here <laughs> to, uh, to communicate what they'd like to see in the game next. Yeah, and I think that the when you when you make a game, you know, there's this there's this thing that I we should we should add this into the show notes, but there's a Russian wrestler who's very famous in in Russia, and I you know as a uh, an American wrestler that grew up you know in high school and college wrestling and in like the late '90s and 2000s, I knew of this this guy. His name is Bavisar Sativ, and he won nine world championships in and and like three olympic gold medals in a row and there was like one year that he didn't he wasn't on the team and then some other russian won the gold medal um at the world championships so he was beaten out by a teammate one time or something anyway he was like this six foot tall skinny 160 pound guy and you know probably completely shredded but he was extremely tall for his weight class and he was so successful and he had this poem 
that he would read before every match that talked about it was it was written by a famous Russian poet and I can't remember the name. I actually they I found a video on like the Joe Rogan podcast where they were talking about this poem and it talks about that the artist the the job of the artist is for, is the purity of the art that they're making. You should not worry about the uh, the money or other things like that. Other people will decide the value. Other people will decide the worth. But your job as an artist is to uh, make the most pure, beautiful artwork that you can. And you know, the, there's this this poem, right? That is very uh, very cool. But um, I I thought, you know, if some sometimes the vision in your head it comes out and you know fewer people buy into it than you than you than you thought um and that is you know unfortunate but so many other times the the games that really explode the products on kickstarter that really explode are the ones that the that every nook and cranny is just has been thought about and i think that that's really what you know you guys want to do don't don't make something halfway but just go go all out and i think that's how you build those fans where they're like super excited and passionate because you're super excited and passionate about your thing you know i, I that's anyway yeah so another question we asked which is super helpful is how often would you like to receive email updates now this is important because what you can now do andrew is that if you wanted to you could say, well, is my monthly email annoying people? Should I be doing less? Should I be doing more? But you got all these different answers. And what you could even do is you could even segment those people into different categories. Say, okay, these are my monthly emailers. These are my quarterly emailers. These are my as as many as I can emailers. Just, <laughs> I mean, that's what that's what you do. You can segment, and this is what this is what a survey affords you to do. You can seg you can then present messages to people and a frequency in which they actually want to receive them. You're not guessing or wait, you know, sort of. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I think that um, the, how often would you like to get email updates really surprised me as well. The, the numbers we gave, we didn't allow people to give their own answers, but it, it kind of gives. Uh, so this is what I thought and I had hoped <laughs> it would be, but um Almost half of the people said monthly. It was like 49.5% wanted monthly updates. Then we have 10% wanted every two weeks. And then almost 19% wanted as often as possible. And altogether, that makes um, like almost 80% of the, of the pie chart is filled with people wanting emails at a monthly cadence or better. There were 21% actually selected quarterly which kind of surprised me. A quarterly update seems to me like something that wouldn't be very, um, like three months is a long time for somebody to forget who you are, right? And so I, I feel like a monthly reminder of, of you know, is, is useful. But, and then only one per, or four people, 1% of this list wanted yearly. It's like, I'm not going to send a yearly update. Um, <laughs> you know, but- I think, uh, I think Brandon Sanderson is sort of, sort of known for sending like quarterly emails. He doesn't mm -hmm. send many each year. So I think that's, that's the idea is that people are just waiting for that one big email that com comes in every three months and then they, they read it. So I think yeah. maybe that's what they're sort of thinking. That's true. And, and part of that is I think training your list to expect your emails. Um, so if you do quarterly, I, I think that there are nice, uh, you know, there are big companies that do quarterly updates because they feel like the, the quarterly email is going to be a huge update every quarter. Um, Others might say, I don't really feel like I have a whole lot to talk about. And so they'll do quarterly. But I think that you you can always reevaluate and go from monthly to quarterly or from quarterly to monthly. Um, I personally see that, you know, in you can actually send it up to once a week and uh, before people get upset and start unsubscribing because you're spamming them, uh, because you're spamming, spamming them too often. So mm -hmm. that's just what I've found in, in marketing, you know. And I've sent, you know, in, in other campaigns, not Kickstarter related, none of our, we never recommend this, but I've sent twice a week with two resends every week as well uh, to the same list. And it's just wow. feels like complete spam, but still makes tons of money for companies that, that sell stuff or can. Um, so, but yeah, anyway, that, that was, that was interesting. So definitely once a month is my recommendation for how often would you like to 
how often you should send an email. And it was 80, over 80% of our respondents um, agree. So the last, well, we had two more questions, but the last big one that I feel like has a lot of, a lot of meat for those, for those listening is we said, we asked the question, how do you prefer to get updates about deliverance? And they can select all that apply. And our, our um, responses were the Facebook group, Discord community, deliverance emails, Kickstarter updates, or Board Game Geek. And uh, we had a couple of people added. <laughs> One person said opt out. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, I was not surprised at the result, but what I was surprised about was in the way that I sent them out the the survey out. The first place I sent it was Kickstarter. It stayed. It was Kickstarter for like almost two days, and then I did my Facebook group. Then I did Discord. Then I did our email list. And the number one thing that people wanted updates on the email list by far, it ne- it was always ahead of Kickstarter. All, you know, we talked about confirmation bias, I think, um, where, you know, if I send it out on Kickstarter, you would expect a statistically higher percentage of people to want updates on Kickstarter. They would answer this question that way, but deliverance emails always stayed ahead of Kickstarter updates. And that was it was our number one right now 75% of our people or of of those that responded want emails prefer emails most by deliver or, or sorry uh, updates most by email and then we had 54% 54.5 wanted kickstarter updates and 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 that's that's just a huge disparity it's over 20% gap and it's like 21% based on these these numbers 75.4 versus 54.5 and then Below that, we have our Facebook group next at only like just under 30% of respondents wanted the Facebook group and only 18% wanted Discord. So I I was actually surprised at how low Discord was and BoardGameGeek, we only have 9%. I have really (laughs) neglected BoardGameGeek. I feel... I don't know. I think it's interesting because it shows you where people expect to receive updates Mm -hmm. and it kind of shows you that, well, you know, in your circumstance... Your Facebook group is more valuable than your Discord server. Yep. Your your email list is more valuable than Kickstarter updates. So it kind of shows you where to put your attention. Um, and sort of, you know, it's interesting that board game geeks geeks is there, you know, and I think you, you maybe were wise to not invest so much time there because what, 36 people you <laughs> find, you know, prefer that above everywhere else. So there's not many. Yeah. The biggest takeaway from me here is I wrote like I spent like 10 hours writing this Kickstarter update and it took so long. It was like, you know, kept telling my wife, Oh, just like one hour more, just like one hour more over the course of four days. And she was like, you know, dang, that was a lot of one hour more, you know, and you know, to write this big Kickstarter update. And I still needed, I, you know, this shows me that I cannot neglect my email list. I should not neglect it. And I think that by cultivating your email list, that you will be rewarded, absolutely be rewarded for for doing that. Um, so don't don't neglect that email list. So um, let's see. And then we have any comments you'd like to leave. And then lastly, if you're not on the deliverance email list, would you like to opt in? And I think most of these people are, but um, we had 71% want to opt in, and then uh, uh, 29% said no that they would not. And they, they didn't want to opt in. So, which was, which was pretty cool, you know? So we'll be able to add that, you know, 224 backers or whatever, or 224. Yeah, well, I think they are, because if they're coming in from like Discord or Facebook group, they might not be on the email list. Or right. maybe they're just backed on Kickstarter. They haven't joined the email list. So yeah. I think that- And that's just- actually a really cool way to segment, like you were saying, using, um, because Google Forms is free. It also connects with Google Sheets. I, I can select everyone that was, that answered, that they would like to opt into the deliverance email list and then just copy their emails and paste them all in, in one massive paste. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like 224 more emails. Um, yeah. Which really is like, cool. and if, if you assume like you're getting an email for $2 50 through Facebook ads, that's $560 of ad spend. Yep. That you that's awesome. got for free just because you sent out a survey. Yep. The last thing I'd, I'd like to mention is just that, it's very easy to write or to make a form that is huge and bloated where you want to ask everything and get all the information. I think you need to make sure that you pare down and get only the most essential data that you will use to make meaningful decisions. 
And so what we tried to do is try to share with you the, the you know, what it is that we, um, what sorts of things that we asked and why. And, um, you know, again, you guys will have this link that you can, um, you know, in the show notes of this podcast, you can feel free to, to go fill out that form just for the sake of pulling those questions off. But um, don't ask unnecessary questions, I guess, is probably the best way that I can explain, you know, the, to, to help you avoid the pitfall of, you know, don't ask, are you, would you play this game at two, three or four player? That's not that important for a, for a, for a survey like this. That's not going to teach you anything unless you're looking to, you know, in pre-marketing, you're trying to figure out, you know, what you should, you know, should you emphasize that it's two player or four player or whatever? That's just not that useful. The useful stuff for me in a post Kickstarter situation is one that has, uh, or that will help me do better next time. So guys, hope you found that helpful. We have come up with a launch date for our course. We, we're going to set this as the, the date we're going to launch. We're going to build up to it and it's going to launch on January the 16th, 2023 in the new year. We're going to open it from the 16th to the 20th. It's going to open it for a week and we're going to close it and then we'll run the course and we're going to go from there. So if you want to see updates about the launch and more information, make sure to join our email list at crowdfundingnerds.com or join our Facebook community the crowdfunding nerds Facebook community search it you'll find it and we'll be sending more information shortly but we have a launch date put it in your calendar because it's on its way well that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds for more resources articles and to listen to past podcasts please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com thank you all again for listening to this week's episode and we'll see you next week stay nerdy stay nerdy